0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast and this is your host, Supreme Decisions. And today, yeah, it sounds a little different because we are going into something new. I'm not going to keep giving you the same old thing the same old way. Because what you have to understand is in life there's this thing called evolution. We have to allow ourselves to evolve into something greater. But with that being said, I'm going to talk about something that is an age-old entity and regarding the police force, and in this case, the blue line, and also those that are looking to protect the feelings of the blue line. Now, often you hear me talk about how complaining to cops about cops is not a good idea. You're going to hear me talk about that in a sense today. Not very deep, but I'm going to go into it you're also going to hear me talk about certain supreme court cases that were laid out in regards to protecting the feelings of police officers but the focus of today while in part is the protection of police officers it's the new bill HB 426 that was signed by Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia But it's also an illustration of something that's greater. Because this is not the first time Georgia has tried to put something out to protect police and try to use it to circumvent their actual duties. And here's the thing. I'm going to read off one of those, which is the Fighting Words Doctrine, because you hear me talk about that constantly. Because that was actually the very first... Thing that was done in modern history because meaning after 1960 where the influence of police protection was taken on by the government in a sense of at a state level they were trying to make sure the police officers feelings weren't hurt instead of doing things that was necessary to protect the citizens as well as offer an opportunity for the police to do the job that they're swearing that they're going to do. Now, with that being said, I'm going to talk about, again, HB 426. And the first part of this podcast is going to be the constitutional law of the fighting words doctrine and how it is applied to abusive language towards police officers. Now, often we think of police officers as hell, heroes for whatever reason. Now, there's also a line where we have those that are police apologists, where they believe, although police are fallible because they're human, they believe police cannot do anything wrong. They take into account that a uniform offers them some type of authority when, in fact, the uniform only signifies the object of voluntary servitude. I'm going to say that one more time. The uniform signifies voluntary servitude. Now, just like you hear me speak about once before, or maybe 30 times before, I use the phrase because, again, for my police apologists, most of them are Bible thumpers. And we talk about the fact that the greatest among you shall be servants to all, but if you're refusing to serve, how great are you? I'm going to say that one more time. If the greatest among you is servants to all, if you're choosing not to serve, how great are you? Because a lot of times we hear when a police officer is asked, who do they work for? They'll say, oh, I work for XYZ Police Department. I work for the city of XYZ. The problem is who makes up the city. And if you're working for the police department, why didn't you say that in your oath? because your oath says something completely different. Your oath doesn't say the city of blah, blah, blah. The oath doesn't say the police department of blah, blah, blah. It says the people, the constitution of that state and of the United States to which if it's the United States, law does not change from state to state. Go ahead and say that one more time. If it's under the United States Constitution, law does not change from state to state. So if that's what you're upholding, why is it an issue when you're asked to do just that? Why is it that you can't say, I work for the people of the United States? Why is it that you can't work for the people of the state of X, Y, Z? But again, we're going to get into that because again, Now, we're talking about governmental intervention or intervention of police protection. And as I go through HB 426, you're going to hear me say a lot of things, and then you're going to ask your question. The questions that you're going to ask, I'm going to say a couple of them out loud. Because, you know, I like to invoke some thought into things that I'm saying and doing. And I'm even going to talk about the reason Kemp said he signed this bill. Because the bill itself was inspired by the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. I'm not sure if anybody remembers that, but he was a young man that was jogging and occasionally in a certain neighborhood in, I believe it was Wake Quarles or Brunswick, Georgia, but it was in South Georgia, where a former police officer and his son decided that they were going to force him to talk to them with guns. And in the process, they killed Ahmad Aubrey. And what most of us did not catch was at one point, the state special prosecutor was looking to offer a hate crime to the father, George McMichael. Now, just to give you a little bit of detail again, not to go too deep into it, George McMichael is a former police officer. Now, when that was brought up, I thought about possibilities because, again, I am not privy to information and I'm only able to speculate. But by being a former police officer, he's in South Georgia, there are certain things that would spark a special prosecutor to actually only charge the former police officer with a hate crime and not all the participants involved. Because if you remember, George was the one who only saw um, Ahmad run past the house. He didn't see Ahmad do anything. And prior calls was made by the son. The son hadn't seen Ahmad on a day that the father told him, hey, let's go, let's go get him. So when you're looking at just that, that form, like, okay, why did he do that? And then the fact that there is something in his record that show that there is a possible bias. I'm going to say that one more time. Possible bias. And again, I'm going to get into certain things that are in this new bill that could have brought this up. But I'm also going to show you, I'm going to show you how this is going to be used as a weapon. They're going to weaponize this bill to deter people from filing lawsuits against police officers. Because they're going to attach everything that you're doing as a hate crime towards police officers. But whenever I read off what the actual statute reads, it's not going to make any sense. Because the context of it very seldom does it have anything to do with police other than the investigatory part. But again, we're going to get into that. So... When you look at multitude of reasons to actually say, you know what, I want to protect police officers. Kemp stated that he is tired of going to funerals of good officers. I can understand that. The problem I have with that is the continued escalation of police-involved shootings, the continued escalation of citizens being killed by police officers, which far outweigh the number of police officers that are being killed by citizens, as well as the alarming rate that nobody is wanting, asking for, or even allowing accountability of police officers. Say that one more time. Not wanting to, allowing, or even asking for. Accountability of police officers. I'm going to speak about a young man, again, later in this podcast, where you hear nothing, absolutely nothing from Brian Kemp, even when directly asked about this young man who is a police officer, who did something egregious. I'm going to say that one more time. He did something egregious. Unbecoming of a human being And Brian Kent was okay with it But He still signed the bill Because He wants to protect police officers And escalate anybody That does anything Towards a police officer Now As promised I'm going to start off With the fighting words doctrine Now one of the prerogatives Of American citizenship Is the right to criticize public men and measures and that means not only informed and responsible criticism but the freedom to speak foolishly and without moderation. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of clown out of my voice and I'm going to actually go ahead and read out how it was actually written. One of the prerogatories of American citizenship is the right to criticize public men and measures And that means not only informed and responsible criticism, but the freedom to speak foolishly and without moderation. And that, my friends, is the First Amendment. No one said that you had to be speaking intelligently for it to be free. No one said that it had to be spoken in kind manners for it to be free. It can be as foolish and as underformed Or as uninformed as possible It really can And what happens is The expectation Because I often deal with expectations Whenever I'm speaking with someone that I love Because most of the time Most of us have too high of an expectation of others Because we'll say things like Common sense isn't common But then we expect common sense from others We talk about how most people aren't very intelligent But then we expect intelligent acts from them The thing is, right now, we're living in a microwave society. Most people don't even want to speak in full sentences, let alone do anything that has to deal with something that's not quick or actually just seems like it's fast. Because even myself, I was doing 25- and 30-minute podcasts, and everybody was like, nah, get the people what we want. We want more. We want an hour, at least an hour. Now you got me giving you two-hour podcasts. Why? Because I got to get the people what they want. And the people that are listening to me, they're intelligent people. They're people that actually go against the status quo. They're people that actually question things that are said in front of them. Because they're people that are looking for things to not necessarily make sense. But they're looking for things that have an answer to it. i say that one more time. You're not looking for anything to make sense. Because we're dealing with a whole lot of illogicalness. So we're not looking for something illogical to make sense. We're looking for something to make sense in this ideal of ideology. Because at the end of the day, most of this stuff is just made up and we're just going through the motions. And this way, we also have an opportunity to actually grab something that means something else. Well, actually has meaning at all. And... When we talked about the fighting words doctrine, it was actually something that evolved simply because people were hurting the feelings of police officers. Police officers didn't want anybody talking back to them, but the problem was there's this thing called respect. They expected respect simply because they had a uniform on, not because they were trained well, not because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They just wanted respect because the uniform was on. Oh I'm risking my life But that was a decision they made Now if you're going to do it One of the things that I learned Early in life was that There's a right way and there's a wrong way And it's generally your way Most people choose their way And now we're in a Where we celebrate mediocrity And Everybody wants credit For doing what they're supposed to do Just showing up We're in the participation trophy generation And Unfortunately It's the entitlement generation And the simple fact that Someone feels entitled Simply because they have a uniform on When they're not educated When they're uninformed And they're also speaking foolishly And without Moderation That's the problem When they have no idea What it is they're enforcing But they're expecting something Because last time I checked Respect is earned, it's not given. I'm going to say that one more time. Respect is earned, not given. And this is also why I had the issue with the the um, police commissioner in Arizona. Again, I'm going to get back on topic. When there was a um, 4th of July or Veterans Day, actually last year, almost a year ago, where I went on a kind of a rant where the police commissioner in Arizona, he, he talked about the um, veterans that were on the police force. But he also spoke about a situation he was not involved in, which a lot of times you have these fools going in blindly because, again, what matters most is the blue wall, not the truth. I'm going to say that one more time. What matters most is the blue wall, not the truth. And they'd rather live with a lie than actually uphold something that means something. You'd rather stand behind something that means nothing than to actually have integrity and do the right thing. And that's the problem that most of us have with police officers, because no one—I had—I've, oh my God—I've said it maybe a thousand times. There's not one person on this planet that hates police. Not one. I can't think of one person that hates police. But I can think of millions that hate bad policing. If you're not doing your job properly, that's what people are hating. When you're out here hitting protesters that are peaceful, as required by the Constitution that you said you're going to uphold and defend, that's not your job. Your job is to actually work towards the benefit of the public. And when doing so, it's to protect their interests. If you're choosing not to do that, then you're not doing your job. And then when I ask you to do your job properly, now I'm a problem. But the problem I have is why should I be the one asking when you have your brethren that are part of that blue wall that are not asking you to do the job properly? Because when you do something wrong, it reflects badly on them. You know how they say when your children are acting up, it reflects bad on the parents? It also reflects bad on your brother when one, up, when one your brother when wearing that uniform does something horrible. Just like whenever you're in a football locker room and somebody's doing something stupid out in public, guess what? It reflects on the team. If you're in a basketball uniform, if you're in a hockey uniform, if you're in a soccer uniform, if you're in any uniform, you're doing something horrible, deplorable, that's completely egregious. It reflects poorly on the team because they made a choice to have you there. Yes, that's exactly what it is because it's still selection. Even though they made a choice to apply, there's still a selection process. And these are the people that they're trying to protect. Now, the first time Georgia actually really got into it was 1966. Because you remember I told you it was after 1960? But there was a young man, Johnny C. Wilson. He was participating in an anti-Vietnam War demonstration. And he was in Atlanta, you know, my hometown, the place that, yeah, I won't go back to forever. I love Atlanta, but I got the love for El Paso now, so it is what it is. But there was a context, and this is where I talk about the feelings of police officers, the feelings. Well, in this, Wilson referred to two police officers as a white SOB. I'll kill you, you suspect. You SOB, I'll choke you to death. You he like SOB, I guess that, you know, is what it is. If you ever put your hands on me again, I'll cut you all to pieces. Now, according to the fighting words doctrine, the very utterance of words that are directed at someone in uniform that is meant for harm. Sticks and stones. Sticks and stones Because That was something I learned in the 70s So why is it in the 60s It's hurting police feelings Now Today those words are terroristic threats They don't even worry about that It's terroristic threats Because he he was wild with it S-O-B this, S-O-B that And I'll cut you all to pieces Absolutely Terroristic threats Now Because no more sticks and stones Because words hurt everyone Why? Because we're in the microwave generation We're in the participation trophies generation Where words and everybody's feelings matter And They go on to speak of the tend to incite An immediate breach of peace Words that with their very utterance Tend to incite an immediate breach of peace Now what happens is You hear me talk about The selective incorporation doctrine Right And you also hear me talk about Things such as If they don't go along As far as state codes statutes and ordinances If they don't go coincide With federal law Or supreme court um, cases Or I shouldn't even say cases Supreme court decisions they're not law. Well, I'm going to get deeper into that because that too, this statute, again, because of the First Amendment, was unconstitutional for vagueness and overbreath. And it actually um, fell under Gooding v. Wilson, 405 U.S. 518 1972. Yeah. 1972, it took six years for this case to be decided. Six. And understand, this wasn't for a lawsuit. This was actually for them to change their thinking. This is one of the things that I actually try to illustrate to everybody. This is not a quick process. This is a lifestyle. This is something that you have to hanker in. What is it that it is you are looking for? What's your level of justice? What is your thing that says, you know what? I'm happy now. Because even after all this Doesn't mean Wilson got any money He was just fighting to change Their BS statute. That's it But again Changed it from what it was In the fighting words To terroristic threats You become a terrorist Say so when you become a terrorist You're terrorizing folks With your words Because sticks and stones but the problem with abusive, uh, abusive language, it goes into other contexts. You're going to hear me talk about things that are under, under different guidelines of this. And for the most part, I'm going to talk about the profanity to police officers. I'm going to talk about a New Hampshire case that was decided in 1942. I'm going to talk about another case that was decided in 1944. But again, today, it's not those times for those cases. Because those were cases that were part of the Gooding v. Wilson decision. But they were not part of the actual, I guess, the alignment of how the decision was made. If that makes sense. And... Again, this is one of those things just like HB 426. It was a choice of protecting feelings versus citizens and proper training. They still want you to hold the guy at McDonald's or the young lady at McDonald's at a higher standard who makes $9 an hour than Joe police officer that makes $100,000 a year. Now, what's funny is a lot of people, whenever I say those things, it just kind of blows their mind. Well, police officers don't make that much money. I'm going to give you context because I know people like that because men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Small-ass town as in Augusta, Georgia, Richmond County. Now, most people don't know it, but the Youth Development Center, YDC, if you are a key turner just a security guard at the um youth Development center campus, your starting salary is thirty two thousand dollars a year give or take a thousand your starting salary no experience thirty two thousand dollars a year that's for children not bad right because you're at a child's campus because that's what it is you don't have any adults there other than. The other ones that are making at least $32,000 a year. All right. So now when you go to a security guard at a jail, your starting salary with no experience is $42,000 a year. Not bad, right? How about a first-year patrolman in a small city such as Augusta? Let's start off with that one is $45,000 a year. That's almost a G a week. That's almost a G. With no experience, you're starting off at $44,000 a year. What about somewhere in Atlanta like Fulton County? Fulton County, you're you're making about $900 a week. What does that equal out to? They equal out to about $48,000 a year, starting out no experience. Most of us didn't even know those numbers existed. The reason this happens is because they're getting this thing called hazard pay. They're part of a union. And in the most part, the union is the most corrupt part of the policing system. Because they encourage bad police officers to stay on the street. They're encouraging the mentally ill to stay on the street, and in fact, Georgia has reallocated. And knows I used the word "re" because they removed 60 million dollars from parks, rec, and schooling to fund police mental health. Notice I still haven't used the word training. And notice where they're taking it from. They're taking it from the children of Georgia. Just understand that. Reallocated $60 million a year for police mental health. Took the money from parks, recreation, and schooling. Because I tell everybody Whenever I use the context of ignorance is the most expensive thing that you'll carry with you throughout your life, what happens is 99% of the people that I run into have no idea what law is. So therefore, if you're ignorant of the law, they can do whatever they would like to to you. They can tell you anything that they like to, and you'll know no difference. And the problem is, because we're in a microwave society, everybody wants everything quick. Keep in mind, I've been doing this for two years, and I haven't even really scratched the surface of what it is that you need to do and how to protect yourself. Just keep that in mind. Because even myself, I thought 30 or 40 videos be max. We're at 300 plus. And I haven't even scratched the surface. Most of the stuff that I'm talking about now is something that goes down in history. Literally. Because... We're at the time of the information age. And very few of us are even accessing the information that's set before us. But whose fault is that? Because the information is free. This is why I don't talk about the hashtags and the, and the oh, free this and free that, running with the trends, I don't do that. I don't even talk about the, the oh, we can do this now. Here's a template. I give you starting points. I give you references. I offer things that are there for you that are tangible. I give you things that are absolutely real and I give you things where you don't even have to take my word for it. The reason I do that is because sometimes we can't go to one source and get it. But we can check one source out. Because... Whether you like me or not like me, you're listening to me. And a lot of times it's people go and look things up just to disprove something I'm saying. But guess what happens? I'm provoking a thought. I'm getting you to look at the world differently. I am making sure that you are not stuck in a rut. I am making sure that you don't leave something on the table when it doesn't have to be. I am that guy. (laughs) I'm that thing that goes bumping the night I'm the disruptor Whenever we're looking at this You have to understand that We are the ones that are protecting our future And if the children are our future As Whitney said We have to do something to protect our children I even talk about different aspects of um, When I'm podcasting When I'm doing videos Those are my least viewed videos Because we're not paying attention because we're not protecting our children. Nobody wants to do that because that's work. We have to do something. Because the active thing that's being done is to make sure our children become slaves. To make sure our children remain ignorant. To make sure our children become passive. To make sure our children have no means of standing up for themselves. That's what's actively going on. Making sure our children don't even have the ability to think for themselves. Isn't that what slavery is? I just I just want to make sure that I'm not the only one thinking that. It's, it's, I think that's what slavery is. When someone is controlling your every thought. Telling you when you can, what you can. Telling you what is real and what is not because they're even in the context of showing you something and then narrating it and expecting you to listen versus watching. Cat Williams talked about it in 2016. I'm telling you about it again in 2020. Four years later, nothing's changed. The only thing is it's gotten worse. Like, I see you, see me, see you. But you're telling me something different. Your words are not matching what I'm looking at. Why is that? But here's the greater part. Why am I listening to you then? You don't hear me. Y'all don't hear me. I think you need to turn this up because I know you don't hear me. Because if I am not matching my words to my vision, what am I looking at? What am I talking about? What am I saying to you? What are you doing? Because a system of free expression recognizes the right decisions to disagree with, arouse, antagonize, and shock his fellow citizens and the government. Why is that such an issue? Why is it we can't come up with a means of doing all of that and still still being able to do what's necessary and not worry about somebody else's feelings? And what happened is, prior to Gooding, the only form of expression known as fighting words were things that were uttered in the direction that was considered vulgar. Because you had people that had the F the war shirts that were being arrested. You had people that had on other paraphernalia that did not signify support Of governmental actions They were arrested Because You know you F the war F Vietnam and you know And and many other Aspects but these are the things that When you're directing them At a police officer Because even in Cleveland There was a Supreme Court case that stated That hey just because someone cusses at you That does not make it Illegal That doesn't even make it disorderly conduct Because there has to be an action behind it. Because words without action are meaningless. I think somebody have lived that, right? Words without action mean nothing. And what happens is in 1919, there was this doctrine that was set up as the clear and present danger doctrine. And it showed up in Shagnik B.U.S. 249 U.S. 47, 1919, where the Supreme Court upheld the conviction of a Socialist Party member for distributing leaflets urging men to oppose the draft. Because, again, that's governmental action. You're supposed to just go along with it. Why is it that free speech isn't isn't free? Because even in um, 1942, the New Hampshire case I spoke about, the free speech controversies was set on religion because a Jehovah's Witness had caused some public resentment while distributing handbills on the street. Yeah, that sounds really violent. Police need to stop all that. Don't teach people about, about you know, your opportunities in life or anything, that, how you see it. Don't talk about that. No, we're going to keep that in closed doors. We, we're not, we're not going to do that. But what happens is we start believing what we're reading. We start looking for a reason for that to be okay. And even in Ferner v. New York, in a 1941 case, the petitioner made some derogatory remarks about government officials. So when you see in the Constitution the right to redress grievances, I can read that line like 80,000 times. And nowhere does it say, be nice. Nowhere does it say, don't be frustrated. Nowhere does it say, be calm. It just says, redress grievances. Everyone has the right to redress the government with grievances. It doesn't say how. There's there's not even an actual way or procedure for doing so just do it it's literally a nike slogan just do it but when you question those that are supposedly acting in your best interest about their action it's always a problem why is that i give you police procedures when they don't do it it's always an issue why is that Because I don't give you speculation. I actually give you Supreme Court cases, federal law, you know, what they're supposed to be abiding by because of those things called Selective Incorporation Doctrine, because of that little contract they swore to uphold and defend called the United States Constitution. Because of that, that's what I give you. I don't have to deviate from that. But instead of having a conversation, we want a name call. we want to do all these other things. And I'm a problem, even though the information is free. I actually told somebody I got most of the information from a Harvard website. Why? Because Harvard gives away free. Why? Because ain't that many people gonna grab it. And then those that do grab it, not everybody's gonna understand how to apply it. I'm one of those people to actually understand how to apply what it is I'm looking at. I'm one of those people to actually understand how to research what it is I'm looking at. I understand how to take an apple. And peel it and know that not only can I eat the outside, I can also eat the peels. Understand that. That's what this is. Because even when you're looking at something where you're looking at DePaul Law Review, Yale Law Journal, Cornell, all of these resources are free. BYU actually has an excellent law department. UTEP. UTEP is surprisingly... One of those universities, they don't have an extensive law library, but they have extensive access because not only do you have an opportunity to go on and sit down in their very comfortable law library, their very quiet law library, you have the opportunity to actually grab actual cases that I speak about. And kind of go through them so you can understand how to not only put one together, but how the verbiage is. Yeah, that's work. But that's how we're able to combat things like cussing at a police officer. You look at Cox v. Louisiana. You look at the fact that in 1965 people are still... Arguing and fighting, even after a decision of Gooding v. Georgia, oh, excuse me, Gooding v. Wilson, that we're still having an issue with being able to freely express oneself because the freedom of expression can be supported if and to the extent that it is closely barraged with illegal action. Because you remember, everything that you do has to have mens rea, has to have intent. Because if it doesn't have any intent, there's no crime. Every crime has to have an injured party. Because if no one is injured, then guess what happens? There's no standing. If there's no standing, there can be no adjudication. See, and these are the things that I help you put together. Because a lot of times when I'm talking about it, it just sounds funny. Because, again, you're being told something, but you forget to look at the words because words have power. And you forget that that power is infinite as long as you don't understand how to wield it. Remember, I gave you the story of Wonder Woman. She kept looking externally for her power, the God killer. She was the God killer. She was the weapon. She had the power the entire time, not the lasso, not the God killer. When I spoke about Jarvis, when he spoke about the the very strength, as you get stronger, your very strength invites challenges. This is how you get stronger. Know the challenges are coming because even as I went on my journey, The challenges became greater and greater and greater until I met my cousin Rico. But I was prepared enough to beat Rico. I was prepared enough. Because even Jay-Z told me, when you play with skills, good luck will happen. Because even luck is even something that's when skill and opportunity meet, or a preparation and opportunity meet. I was prepared, I had skills, and there was an opportunity. Because the crazier part about this whole thing is, I don't think I could have done it more than once. The best thing about that opportunity is I didn't have to do it but once. But then when you talk about the other aspects of this, the stakes weren't as high. So I'm able to go into those with a clearer mind. I'm able to go into those with a lot more confidence. Simply because confidence is a killer. And understanding the fact that I have it and I'm able to use it and I understand where my power lies. That's where the difference is. Because I can't just be told something and just go along with it. I can't just accept something just because somebody said it. You shouldn't either. Because even in Edwards v. South Carolina in 1963, where the petitioner's civil rights demonstrators were convicted of breach of peace on the basis of a statute which prohibited speech that stirred people to anger. That was illegal. It's something that was overturned. It infringed on the petitioner's right of free speech and assembly. So not only did it infringe on their right of free speech, it infringed on their right to assemble. And petition the government. You know, their are grievances. That's what that, that means. That's what you have the right to. Why? Because they're supposed to work on your behalf for your benefit. Because anything outside of that is unconstitutional. And I've even gone over coin v. California. And when we're talking about these cases, and when we're talking about what it is that makes everything good, We talk about everything that makes everything bad. You look at even the organizations, because the NAACP in Cantwell v. Connecticut in 1940, it offered the right of the NAACP to challenge racial discrimination in the courts, despite Virginia claim that the organization was soliciting legal businesses stated that they threaten the sanctity of the exercise of First Amendment activities. Now, you heard me even talk about that state can't even stop anybody from working. They can regulate how the work is done, but they can't stop somebody from working. This is one of those cases. NAACP v. Button in 1963. These are cases that you've heard me go into, but these are also cases that I didn't get very deep into because, again, each one of them have a different aspect to it. Because as we get deeper, and as you know, I got you guys swimming right now, as we get deeper, this becomes something different. As you've listened to me over the past couple years, I've become something different. The videos have become something different. Because this is also becoming part of the evolution of what is at this time. Now, we're getting ready to stop for a quick commercial break. But now we're getting ready to go into the fun stuff. And that's Brian Kemp's hate crime bill to protect the police officers. I'm going to hopefully invoke some thought into what you're doing, what you're listening to, and how you're listening. And then... I don't want a whole lot. But I do want you to think about this. I'm going to ask some questions. And I hope you catch it. While catching it. I hope you understand where it is I'm going with it. So. Support the podcast. 99 cents a month. 499. Or nine ninety nine, And we'll be back after these messages. Alright people, welcome back. And let's get into this bill. The police protection bill or the hate crime bill. HB426 signed by Brian Kemp in Georgia. Now I'm going to give you a couple of T And this is the PSA. It went into effect the 1st of July, 2020. The PSA on this is actually, he didn't even sign it. Brian Kemp did not sign this until the 5th of August. I'm going to say that one more time. It went into effect the 1st of July, 2020. Brian Kemp did not even sign this thing until August 5th. This is one of the reasons why I often tell you to make sure you're looking at the dates of things that are signed and filed because you have to understand Men lie, women lie. Numbers don't. And the one thing you can't change is that court stamp. So, pay attention to those things. Now, what it is, is a procedure for sentencing and imposing of punishment for crime involving bias and prejudice. Now, here's T. I got a lot of them for this one. Because... Most people don't understand where the hate crime attachment comes from. It's actually just an escalated. Yeah, I think escalated would be a good word here. Escalated sentencing guideline for enhancement. The reason why they use that is because instead of giving a mandatory minimum, you're giving them additional to the maximum. Say that one more time. Instead of giving a mandatory minimum, You're given additional to the maximum. The funny part about this is, anybody can actually go and look up these enhancements and all those good things. And even the HB 426, you can actually go and read it for yourself. And what happens is, it's an easy read, and it's three pages. It's an amendment to Article 1 of Chapter 10 of the Title 17 of the Georgia Organic Code. Now, all it does is deals with the enhancement on sentencing. That's it. So it's nothing special. It's not elongated. But again, what you have to pay attention to is words have power. I think I said that almost two years ago. And it reigns true today. I actually went on a rant at midnight or some shit where I actually talked about that. Because words have power But when you use the verbiage Or you understand the verbiage That's in the um, The new amendment Quote unquote law That was signed You know a month after it was in effect In Georgia by Brian Kemp You then have to do a few Question and answer sessions with yourself Because Understand the verbiage Because they use the verbiage of Defendant select victim and bias-motivated crimes. Now, what happens in Section 1, it begins with these crimes being found guilty of or a defendant being found guilty of. So, you know, some, somebody's got to actually have a choice. Something's got to be said. Something's got to be done. 12 people's got to make a decision. The problem is 95% of these people that are charged with this type of situation will not have 12 people decided. They'll have it decided by three. What I mean is they're going to have an attorney that's going to tell them, well, this is your best possible deal, which is probably true. The best possible deal, not best possible outcome. Those are separate conversations. But They're going to be on the team of the prosecution, which is going to have the first chair and second chair. And it's generally who was ever the head DA or the head prosecutor at that time, along with their assistant, which is generally a second chair. So those three people, because notice I talked about nobody being on your team. Difficult for me to say that, especially knowing nobody's on your team except for you. Now, Section one begins with these things called crimes. The first one, simple assault. Now, no no need to go into big detail, but I'll go back to that. Simple battery is number two. Again, no need to go into very much detail because I think most of us know that simple battery is you smacking somebody up a little bit. Okay, we got that. And then three is battery. Four is criminal trespass. Now, that's the doozy. Because that's the one I'm going to go the most in depth on. Because most people have no idea what trespassing is. Because even if we forgive our trespasses as those that trespass against us, we're going to forgive those. The problem is, it's codified in Georgia under 16-7-21. And remember, this is part of the police Protection Bill. Keep that in mind while I'm saying this. Because this is going to be the most common enhancement that's going to be added. Police Protection Bill. Hate Crime. Criminal Trespass. Because I'm going to read to you what it is. And I'm going to go into when it's most applied. But I'm coming back to that. And Various Misdemeanors. That's number five. I, 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 okay, Police protection bill But various misdemeanors Okay Now I did say I was going to go into criminal trespass Because again Most of us have no idea what it means Now Understanding what, how the statute reads A person commits the offense Of criminal trespass When he or she intentionally Remember it has to have intent Men's rea, guilty mind in order for it to be a crime, a person commits the offense when he or she intentionally damages any property. Because remember, corpus delicti is the body of the crime. And a crime is damage to person or property. Because the state must actually agree with federal law and Supreme Court decisions. As I spoke about the selective incorporation doctrine. And normally and maliciously. Interferes with possession or use of property without consent. Now, that's criminal trespasses. A person commits the offense when he or she intentionally damages any property, knowingly and maliciously interferes with the property, possession, the use of, without consent. How the hell does that apply to police? What does that have to do with protecting a police officer? Well, let me tell you. Because again, remember, this is a police protection bill with an enhancement as a hate crime. When does somebody normally get charged with criminal trespassing? When they're filing and requesting documents from the police. Oh, you didn't hear me. I'm, I'm going to say that one more time. When does somebody normally get charged with this? Criminal trespassing. Part of the hate crime bill for police protection. It's when they are filing or requesting documents for or from police. They need protection from you filing documents. They need protection from you requesting documents, even though it's a requirement for them to be accountable For their actions. You know this thing called due process. Even codified that they actually have to write up a report. And I'm actually get into that too. I'm going to get into that. Because what happens is. While they're protecting you from information. That they're supposed to have. Brian Kemp doesn't want to talk about that. Brian Kemp doesn't want you filing lawsuits against. The police department Brian Kemp doesn't want you Filing lawsuits against bad police officers Brian Kemp wants you to look the other way And just take it There's a few bad apples Right But they don't want to do anything Because of the bad apples They only want you to do anything To the bad apples They want you to be okay With the bad apples They want you to eat those bad apples anyway and the greatest part about this is understanding when I talked about the cherry picking of prosecutors who makes the determination if this is going to be an elevated request, an elevated ask, an elevated attachment? The prosecutor. Uh, uh, hold on. Uh, The prosecutor is going to make a determination if this is going to be a hate crime against a police officer with you criminally trespassing. I'm going to say that one more time. The prosecutor is going to make a determination if an elevated hate crime should be attached to criminal trespassing. Now. Do people damage police cars? Absolutely. Should it be attached to that? I don't think so. Depends on, again, depends on the act. Because just like Dave Chappelle spoke about, you throw a snowball at somebody and you hit them, that's simple assault. But if you call them a nigga while you do it, it's a hate crime. If they're screaming something out maliciously while they're damaging a police car, yeah, then I say attach it. But if they're just damaging the car, they, they might want to tear up a police car. It, it might just be it. I mean, that might be it. But then again, you still got to have 12 to prove it. So it's understanding what, what criminal trespass is in. Now, to give you more context, because generally when you're filing paperwork, you're going to be at a courthouse or at the police station. Now, both of those are public places both of those are places you don't need permission to be as long as they're open so now let's look at this one lands entry and others one would be a vehicle railroad car aircraft or watercraft or here's the kicker after receiving prior notice from rightful owner owner-occupant, upon proper identification. Say that one more time. Rightful owner, rightful occupant. Now, here's what happens. A manager is not the rightful occupant. A manager is not the rightful owner. A manager cannot make a complaint of trespass. A manager cannot make a decision unilaterally, without the consent. And it must be written consent from the actual owner of the property or the actual owner or the actual occupant of a property. That entry is forbidden. Got to keep that in mind because, they, again, they'll try to circumvent the rules. The problem is that's their rule. That's not yours. It's not how it's written. It's their rules. This is actually codified. I'm reading from the code. And then guess what it is? It's still a misdemeanor. Oh, but let me go back to this hate crime. Various misdemeanors. That's why they threw it in there. Because criminal trespass, unless there is damage to property that exceeds $1,000, it's a misdemeanor. So they have to throw that in there because... If you're filing paperwork, you're able to be in that building. You're not damaging any property. They're restricting you from doing something that requires due process. Brian Kemp is okay with that. But if they charge you with criminal trespass and you accept it and plead guilty to it, the prosecution then has an option to charge you with a elevated hate crime because you're attempting to sue a police officer. You're attempting to gain information that will allow the suing or the lawsuit against a police officer. Now, with that being said, do you sue them in their individual capacity or as a police officer? Well we know once they violated your civil rights, they were no longer acting as police officers. So if you're being charged with criminal trespass in a public building, such as a courthouse or a police station, and they're not allowing a request, they're not allowing you to file paperwork that re- that's required under due process, and you're doing it the proper way, you're not having these extra reasons for them to actually elevate anything, they're no longer acting as police officers. So, therefore, you don't have to sue them as a police officer. Everything is not a 1943. And I gave you the guidelines for them acting under the guise of 1943 when it's applicable. Not every case is. Most cases aren't. This is where you actually have an opportunity because nowhere in here does it say courthouse. Nowhere in here says police station. Both of those are public buildings with public access. And guess who they work for? The public. Guess who can request information? The public. Guess who you are a part of? The public. The public, the public, the public. But understanding, the words have power. And this bill is an enhancement of the penalties that are imposed. And the one thing I love is, again, the verbiage. The verbiage goes into the actual or perceived race, color, religion. Hold on. Is not race and color pretty much the same damn thing? I didn't I didn't know, but it's, it's separated here, so we're going to keep it separated. I, I just thought that was – I'm going to throw that out there because I thought that was different or the same, but they're different, I'm guessing. I'm a, I'll get somebody else to explain that to me. Race and color. I didn't know those were different things. But anyway. Race, color, religion, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender, mental disability, physical disability. And again, notice it said the actual or the perceived. Because a lot of times when you're looking at these people that are calling 911 and they're yelling about something and they're go back to your your country go back to here go do this and go do that they are working on perception they are working on something that is not actual that should be an enhancement on a hate crime that is actually something because again we talked about terroristic threats if you listen to some of the guys of simple battery it falls under that other misdemeanors it falls under that these are things that can be discussed these are things that should be discussed These are things that should be charged in order to deter certain acts or behaviors. Oh, that's actually what the statute's code and ordinances are for, to deter certain acts or behaviors. But what happens is, on misdemeanors, the bare minimum is six months. The maximum added on. Knows what I'm saying. The add-on is a minimum additional six years. Act the maximum add-on is an additional year and a five thousand dollar fine if it's a misdemeanor. Now when we're looking at an add-on for a felony is a minimum two year enhancement. And then it falls under judicial discretion. Most of us have no idea what a judge is thinking, feeling, or believing. Most of us don't even go and Study the judges that we're going to go before We just walk in the courtroom blindly and say Hey, this is what it is And we don't know if this judge is Someone that likes to have a story told to him We don't know if this judge Likes facts We don't know if this judge is a Constitutionalist We don't even know if this judge is Pro-police Regardless of what's going on, he's going to listen to the police officer So Again, each time you're Remember you're painting a story, you're painting a picture you're illustrating this story and you want to make sure that while you're making sure the people that are going to decide your fate have the best picture possible you must also know who you're painting that picture for see with Wadir you have the opportunity to pick people that can see your vision with the judge, you just have to understand what that judge's vision is and kind of cater to it or even paint your picture to that but the one thing about all judges no one wants to be overturned but you also have to offer them an opportunity to get out of their own way and the only way to do that is to actually know who you're standing in front of and that's just one of those that kind of help you out for later now Here's the beautiful part about this whole thing, cause I told you I was gonna get into what the police must have, according to their guidelines. Knows I got I got excited about that Look, their guidelines, because one they gotta have the name of the parties, the accused and the accuser, because at this point there's allegations. We can't have judge and jury. There's been no guilt decided. This is why we have an issue. When cops play judge, jury, and executioner, and then we look at the amount of executed men and women that were 100% innocent of the crimes that they were executed for. Yeah, I actually paused for dramatic effect, so I want you to understand what it is. We have a fallible system. Everybody can agree, but everybody wants to have permanent actions assigned to temporary and fallible things. Until it affects them Now As we keep going on Two is the relationship of the parties Because I often listen to The levels of ignorance Because you remember I talked about The first part that yeah foolishness goes along with this And people do not have to have Actual facts In order to just spew bullshit So When you look at How crime actually works. And then you look at. From a child. Most children. Go where they're familiar. They go where they're comfortable. Doesn't really change much as an adult. The only difference is it becomes more blatant. Because less than 20% of all crime is random. Now. I'm going to give you the kicker on why I say that. Other than the fact that it's statistically proven. Less than 20% of all crime is random. So that means more than 80% of all crime is what is known as proximity crime. So in that less than 20%, most of that is crimes of opportunity and crimes of passion. But that's why you have so many low levels of crimes that are actually committed. Like when you're looking at race crimes, crimes just based on race most people are more comfortable around people that look like them guess who they're going to also hurt and kill and murder and rob and steal from people that look like them why because it's a proximity crime FBI even told the fact that you're less likely to be killed by someone you don't know which again 80% chance is going to be you Because you look at all murders. The spouse versus spouse, guess who they're looking at first? The other spouse. If that spouse is clean, guess what they're looking at next? The children. If the spouse and children are clean, guess who else? The neighbors. Why? Because crime doesn't go very far. It's somebody you know in some form. It's somebody that watches you from work or you know from work. Somebody you pass every day on the subway. It may be somebody, you know who did it. The problem is you may not know who did it. But these are the things that most people don't realize, even though it's told to us constantly through certain subliminal actions. But they like to paint pictures of one thing and elevate and say, this is it, 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 this is it. it." And the problem is they keep forgetting that they just told us it was... Also, like that for something else. But just keep that in mind because less than 20% of all crime is random. That's why they look at your neighbors. That's why they look at your spouses. That's why they look at home first because most people don't clean up home. Three, sex and gender of the parties. Now, why is that important? Because again, we're talking about actual and perceived. We're talking about hate crimes. But as we're going through, I still have yet to figure out whether the police actually jump in here because the one thing that we didn't talk about when we talked about race, religion, color, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender, physical, and mental disability, we didn't talk about any uniforms. and the problem I have with that is if you're going to make this a cop protection bill why are we not talking about uniforms and then we're talking about misdemeanors and criminal trespass and the most used form of it is someone that's filing paperwork for or against or in with or against the police why isn't that part of this bill But that's again how I'm going to talk about how they're going to weaponize this bill. Because at the end of the day, there is no real legitimate reason for this to even be part of a police protection bill or a hate crime enhancement. But again, now we go into number four. Got to have the race of the parties, the religion of the parties, date of birth of the parties, time, place and date of incident. Now give you a little break here because this is why i tell you specificity is the key in doing any discovery motion because if you need when you're requesting information from the prosecutor from police from anyone that had dealings the closer you can get it to the times dates and place of what it is that you're looking for, you kind of, it's like that pinpoint or the, 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 when somebody say drop your location, that's exactly what they're asking for. Time, place, date of incident. The location is key. That's where everything happens. That time and space in that moment, you are the star. That's what you're asking for. You're asking for your information, which is why I always talk about in the Motion to Compel, you make sure you deviate from the Government and the Sunshine Act and you take away their abilities to deny you anything. So keep that in mind. Specificity, because what is required under their guidelines, is time, place, and date. Eight, they need evidence of discrimination. The type and extent of alleged violation. The existence of an object symbol associated with terrorizing another person. I love how they put that in there terrorizing another person because at the end of the day words have power remember I talked about terroristic threats words, the verbiage because again how they're going to weaponize this they're going to weaponize conversation they're going to weaponize ideas they're going to weaponize hate and going to use it against you Wow! In fact, procuring and exploding hate onto you, and then when we go to number eleven, they're gonna go to the number and type of weapons. And here's a here's a here's another one I want to bring up to you. Number twelve. Prior issues between parties. Now I got a little story. I got a little story to tell. Now what they understand is. Recidiv- recidivism. Pretty sure I said that wrong because I'm country as hell. But that means repeat offenders. The repeat offender rate is pretty high, especially in places such as California, Chicago, New York, and even Atlanta. A lot of times, even myself, you've been mo- arrested multiple times by the same officer. Remember, this is the police protection bill. And we're using the prior incidents between parties. Now, I've had a Officer that was, he was actually super nice. First time we had a meeting, I wasn't very nice to him. In fact, I resisted. And he got a little physical. Second time, I resisted. He got a little physical. The third time, I just turned around. And he politely put the cuffs on me. Each time, it was just business for him. When I went to go get my police report on background check, he actually smiled. Hey, how you doing? But again, we had prior instances. Two of those where I was resisting. Two of those where I was using profanity. Two of those where he could have actually elevated the charges against me, but didn't. Now, Again, you remember I talked about officer discretion. But now we go into this because we talk about repeat offenders. We talk about resisting. What happens if now you go into a point of you're having multiple issues with the same officer and you resist and in the midst of that you hit the officer a couple times. Now that becomes a hate crime because you've had more than one issue with this officer. Now, I only bring that up because i give you another story. There was a police, well, yeah, I think he's still a cop. He's a police officer down in Augusta, Georgia, in Richmond County. He's known as The Rock. Young man went to Savannah State, got a nice little football bill. Well, I've got a family member. Had a lot of issue with The Rock. And the thing is, literally four or five times I had gone to have a conversation with this family member or go bail this family member out, and the arresting officer was The Rock. So there was a point when me and The Rock came face to face. He wanted to put the smack down, but he's still a little dude. I'm still a big guy. He didn't smell what he was cooking. Because I wasn't listening to the bullshit. But the question was, how is it that you're always the one that's arresting him? That was the only question I had for him. How is it every time he gets arrested, you're the one that's doing it? Then we talk about things such as targeting. Now, let's say The Rock and this family member have a fifth or sixth encounter. And this time, you know what? The family member saying, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm, I'm so sick of this dude because it's him every time. And now this family member didn't do it the first five times, but he does it on time number six. He now has an elevated mandatory minimum. Because let's say he hits the rock and now the rock is bleeding. He's not a machine. Now you have a felony because of the discretion. You have an elevated hate crime. Why? Because you have multiple issues with the same cop. My question is, is that really an issue? Because if five incidents are traffic citations for literally... Uh, parking in the wrong place. Let's say they're parking issues. And then the fifth one is a resisting because you're tired of this extra stuff. You now have a hate crime attached to your record. Why? Because they're talking about misdemeanors as well. They're talking about simple battery. They're talking about criminal trespassing and a cop protection hate crime bill. Because even in this, they're requesting a police disposition. If you don't know what that means, it's what did the cops do with this hate crime? What what happened? What did what did they did they resolve it? Are you satisfied? Are you happy? It's a customer service, but it's the cops' customer service on themselves. Yeah, because if you get ask me what my Yelp reviews are, I'm a five star dude. Why? Because I'm five starring it every time because I'm giving my own reviews. But that's what's asked of them. Now, 14 is pretty much, is the victim satisfied? Was there a restraining order put up? Was there something else? Was there jail time given in the... And they were arrested because even what happened, the victim shall be entitled to review and a copy of any report prepared. And the last part of that report has what I think is the most important part of it. And that's the officer's notes. What did the officer say? What did the officer do? What did the officer write down? What was the officer thinking? It's in the officer's notes. This is what they their guidelines say they have to do. But now, I'm going to scroll back up just a little taste. What's the most used part of this bill? Criminal trespassing. When do the police most often issue a criminal trespass. When someone is going to a courthouse or a police station to file paperwork with or request from the police, they're charged with criminal trespassing. It can then be set under other misdemeanors. The prosecutor can then elevate it to a hate crime and give you mandatory minimum sentences for misdemeanors. Where in fact, the only thing you're doing is following law. And here's the last part of this, because I had a young man that was in Oregon that was having an issue because he had three different police stations stop him on a traffic stop regarding his headlights at dawn. Each police department shall report both arrest and non-arrest. The one thing they don't do is turn over information. That's the most difficult thing. And why is that? Because they're the good guys and everything they're doing is right and above bar because Brian Kemp thinks they need protection from somebody filing paperwork against them because they're not doing their job properly and Brian Kemp doesn't want them held accountable. Because again, nothing that goes on in this bill is talking about retraining. Nothing in this bill talks about them doing their thing right. Because it tells you what they should have, but it does not tell them when they have to turn it over. See how, see how the thing it's not only what's there what's not there nothing in this bill deals with training nothing in this bill does anything with the protection of citizens but yet there is nothing that talks about uniforms because a cop is not a race cop is not a religion cop is not even a color even though they want to holler blue cop is not a sexual orientation Cop is not a nationality. Cop is not a gender. And last I checked, cop is not a mental or physical disability. However, this is a police protection bill. Because it's elevating it to a hate crime. Because Brian Kemp hates going to the funerals of good officers. When in fact, these good officers are killing more citizens at an elevated rate. And Brian Kemp is not asking for them to be retrained, not asking for them to be accountable, and not asking for them to turn over anything. But the problem that he's having is they're being sued and people are targeting them. Not that they're not trained properly and they're killing the people they're supposed to be protecting when the preservation of life is their first duty. Now, I'm going to come back with the closing today. And in the closing, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand where I'm going with it. I want you to understand, because I actually use the words weaponize, because that's what this is. This is a weapon to deter people from standing up to the bully. They're giving you one of those things because now it is cherry-picking time for prosecutors. Just keep that in mind because the elevated hate crime statute will go into effect before the end of 2020. And what I mean by somebody will be charged with it before the end of 2020. Because as you saw, it went into effect July 1st. It wasn't signed to August 5th. But nowhere in there does it say the words cop police anything uniform officer none of that but it's for the protection of police as a hate crime and it's attached with the fighting words doctrine because police feelings are more than their actual word so give me a minute listen to this last commercial break and we'll be back All right, people, today we are actually on the last leg of this podcast. I talked about HB 426 and the police protection hate crime bill that was passed in Georgia for or by Brian Kemp. And I talked about the other aspects where they used the fighting word doctrine as a weapon to protect police emotions. I talked about how that was unsuccessful because the fighting word doctrine itself is designed to protect the citizens. I talked about how this bill will be weaponized by using what seem to be minor offenses or even things that aren't even actual crimes will be used to have elevated consequences But those that choose to not fight back, I'm going to say that again, have elevated consequences for those who choose to not fight back if the DA or the prosecutor decides that they want to elevate this and create a name for themselves because most people don't fight back. 95% of people don't fight back, and that's the push for this bill. It's not that, again, people hate cops. There's not even people that discriminate against cops. It's the fact that you have things in people such as Brian Kemp pushing agendas that don't talk about helping the citizens of their states, helping the people, or even Helping the police in manners which would be more significant because if they're better trained They can do better work Because they actually know what law is we won't have Issues of them not knowing law if they actually understood What their duties were we wouldn't have an issue about Them not doing their duties properly if there actually was an opportunity for them to actually be held accountable for their actions, we would not only have better policing, we will have better police officers. Then they could have the respect that they are expecting right now. Because when you look at the police that were in Arizona, I have to use this as an example, they made a choice to leave. The police commissioner in Arizona then decided that he was going to take that as an opportunity as people taking shots at the blue. When in fact, one out of every five days, the Arizona police officers are killing citizens. Then you have a police chief in Phoenix that says, it's the citizens fault that the police are shooting them. Even if it's a 14 year old boy that's on the park getting shot in the head, why? For playing on the park because their police aren't trained properly. Nobody's asking for better training. Nobody's writing down more accountability. We're having arguments over it, and they're weaponizing their inability to be accountable. And then they're banking on the fact that you're going to be too afraid to actually follow through on any threat that you make, or even if they push back, you're not willing to push again. Those are things that they're banking on. They're banking on you believing TV versus you believing what's written. You actually pushing forward just like Wilson did and going to the Supreme Court to change something, to make a difference in something, to actually make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else. Because when you have one that makes a change, right, it offers an opportunity for others to continue and push that change forward. When you have an opportunity to do something, this is where you do something, or you see something, you say something. When you see a police officer doing something wrong, you do something, you say something. You follow through on it. This is where you stand up, bite down on your mouthpiece, and say, you know what? Let's finish this because being easy on something when in fact there were choices made that were outside of your privy, also outside of your control, why should you be the one apologizing for those choices? Why should you be the one that suffer from those that are inadequate at what they're doing? Because whenever you're looking at a three-page amendment to a hate crime bill that's designed to help police or protect police and you see what they're actually using as charges to protect police you see what it is they must have and they're not turning over even though it says in their guidelines that it must be turned over must be reviewed and turned over must be reviewed and turned over, must be reviewed and turned over. But when we file our motions for freedom of information, for our information, for information that deals with us, it's a problem. When we file our motions for discovery, for things that deal with us so we can have due process, it's a problem. But you'll take $60 million from our children and tell us, you need to be okay with it. You need to respect the police. These are the good guys. When in fact, you're looking at a young man that decided to make up a charge against a young woman. Throw her down, put a knee on her back, threaten to kill her in front of God and everybody else. And then when asked about it at a press conference, you exonerated this young man. When on video, he turned off his body camera audio, when he found out that somebody else knew he was lying. When this young woman was exonerated, why? Because he was lying. He made it up. He made it up on video. This young man was looking for three Hispanic men. He decided to arrest a six-foot-tall black woman. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this again. He was looking for three short-statured Hispanic men. He decided to arrest a six-foot-tall black woman. Brian Kemp didn't ask for accountability from this man. Brian Kemp didn't ask for... <laughs> Brian Kemp didn't ask for anything for this young man. Brian Kemp exonerated this young man. But here's where the the flip side of this is. This young woman did the one thing I tell everyone not to do. She complained about the blue wall. Because in the midst of what this was happening, she was actually investigating something that had happened to another person that she lived near that was murdered. And she thought the police had something to do with it and was covering it up. But what she did, she complained about the blue wall. She sat there, was harassed, beaten, lied on, and completely humiliated, violated by the blue wall. She complained to the blue wall about the blue wall. And then when the blue wall exonerated his actions, she then became upset. But you don't complain to a cop about a cop because of the issues of cops. When you're looking at Brian Kemp, when you're staring down the barrel of someone who cares more about the minority than he does the majority who he supposedly represents, that's a problem. When he's doing nothing other than taking away from the most needed, the least protected, and then using and weaponizing the problems that people are having with the minority to where the minority is not accountable, to where the minority is not better trained, to where the minority is not even stabilized enough to do anything other than what they're doing. That's a problem. Because when you look at this bill, just like the conversation that was had about the mask, everyone should be just as upset about this as they are the mask mandates. Because understanding, if you're going to be upset about one thing, you need to be upset about all things that don't benefit you. Because again, the government is not supposed to work for the benefit of the government, they're supposed to work for The benefit of the governed. Say that one. One more time. One more time. They're not supposed to work for the benefit of the governor. They're supposed to work towards the benefit of the governed. You are the governed. You are the ones that they're supposed to be working for. These are the issues that we're having. Now. Now. Wow, I, I I kind of rambled a little bit earlier. I'm actually going to close this one today, kind of short. So I'll have something more meaty for you next week. But what's going to happen is this: the podcast is actually going to get on a schedule. And I think those that are donating to the podcast now to make sure the podcast keeps going out, you will have more than one or two a month. You will have one every Monday. That is going to be. We're going to have it out no later than 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Mondays, every Monday, like clockwork. But what I want you guys to think about right now is I want you to think about this. Do the police need protection or do the people need protection from the police? Do the police need more training or do they need more protection? Do the police need to be held accountable for their actions when it violates law or when it goes with law, do we not need open policing? We're actually discussing open scoring and boxing, but we can't have open records for people that have issues. Because if I'm pulled over by a police officer, why is it an issue for me to get a police report? Considering that's what they do, they sit down after they have an incident, they sit on their computers for at least an hour while on the clock, Making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year And they're typing They're doing paperwork You know thing that they don't want to do But we can't have that And it's never ready It always takes 3 to 10 days How is it when that's what they do Immediately after it happens Immediately after it happens They're supposed to be doing paperwork But now it's 3 to 10 days But then after 10 days There's an issue And then when we request it from the prosecutor, there's an issue. Whenever we go to the police station, there's an issue. And even now, if we're going to the police station in Georgia, it's up to the prosecution if that's now a crime. We have to literally fight for our lives, asking people to do their job properly. That's all I got for today. Again, thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Don't forget to join the website. There is a join button. There are four tiers. Pick one and let's keep going. Let's keep growing. And as you see, it only gets better. The T-shirts are on sale. Click Shopify. Click your size and we're going to get that rolling. And lastly, we're going to do something. Because I'm working on putting together a giveaway. And I hope you guys are ready because it's going to be big as well as there's going to be a new website called Supreme Trust, where I talk about estate planning as well as basically defending a trust in court. I'm gonna talk about how a trust works. I'm going to talk about what a trust is. I'm gonna talk about differences in trust. But understand, these are gonna be the things that help you benefit Either for having or not having a trust and understanding what's supposed to go on with it. So, thank you guys again. I love you. Keep listening. Keep watching. And we're only getting better because I'm going to show you where this thing is going. Supreme, out.